bienvenidos a Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de esa mejor cerveza. No abate por no filter network. Will the thrill not with us this morning? Miguelito Sandiaguito not with us this morning. But who gives a fuck? Because Ian Miller is. What's up, dude? What's going on, Burnsy? Pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. Bro, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you. I'm not only on the Daily Hustle this morning, but just on the network in general and all the work that you've been doing. Bro, have you been having fun with this? Oh, man, I am living the fucking dream, honestly. Learning a lot from dudes like you. Uh, man, it's, a, it's an honor to be here, man. Seriously, thank you for having me. All right, so every single morning we come on here, we properly salute our boys and it starts with will the thrill and it also starts with miguelito san diaguito aka kowalski and then we like to properly salute each and every one of our listeners and viewers out there as well so do me a favor take your two fingers and put them up in the air like this and follow my lead yes 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 when we're juiceful, we are useful, Ian. And when we are juiceless, we are fucking useless. I love that. I love that. That fires me up, Bernsey. Isn't that cool? A very pleasant good morning to you on the 28th day of February, 2024. We are sponsored, of course, by Bet Online. It continues to be your number one source for all of your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college troops throughout the year with up-to-the-minute odds. Stats and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. Experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop or mobile device. Head to Bet Online today to become part of the team and remember to use the promo code BLEAVE, capital B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online the game starts here and then ian here's another one of our title sponsors this is verge take a look at it Ooh. so that? this is yeah it's it's lemon it's honey it's ginger and it's cannabis all rolled into one it is a sustained natural high that we like to put down every morning and we Salute our guy, Jory, over at Verge. Go to tryverge.com. There's a promo code, too, dude. It's LTP10 or let them play 10. I don't know. Try both of them. But you should get, I think it's 10 or 20% off this shot of greatness. So, salute. Salute. It's amazing. That's amazing. Perpetual. It's easy on the throat, too. I know it's we get going here and start yelling at the fucking microphone and everything. It's nice to have that relief. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. All right. Dude, so introduce yourself basically to the daily hustle community. I mean, this is, you know, I, I'll give you a brief introduction. I know you're from Pennsylvania originally. Uh, and then went to, was it wag? Yeah. I was a walk on. I was a walk on. Yeah. Yeah. No scholarship, man. No scholarship, walked on, not the hijacket, but I've gone over this a million times. I feel like I perfected it. I'd love to hit you with this, man. I was an under-the-radar baseball player, right? I could just run fast, little white dude, 
played a little defense, walked on to Wagner College, uh, earned that spot, man, ended up getting seen out in Alaska, right? I wasn't good enough to play in the Cape, got drafted, grinded my beanbag off to get through the minor leagues, man, ended up getting a touch of greatness up in the big leagues, man. And I'm just trying to empower the next generation of nine hole hitters, man, just like me, just let them know like, hey, dude, anything's possible. Anything is possible, dude. So we got Emilio Pagan um, signed a two-year, eighteen, ah, two-year, sixteen million dollar banger with the Reds coming on later. Right, talk about his story. He was a tenth round uh, dude out of D two, Belmont Abbey, played third base. You know what I mean? But now he's relieving. He's closing games in the big leagues. You know what I mean? Anything's possible. That's what I'm here to do. So walk us through your journey, though. You walk on to Wagner, and then all of a sudden you become a starter. Yeah. From from there, did you get drafted? Yeah, man. Yeah. So I had a I had a, a tough I had to get acclimated my first year, right? Freshman D1, man. Eyes wide. Eyes wide. Uh during the headlights type of thing. Ended up banging a little bit, right? Sophomore junior year, got drafted in the 14th round. Um, man, just kind of kind of didn't didn't blow the competition out of the water throughout my minor league career, but Man, it just just kept progressing. Tried to keep getting better. Um, Do the baseball data. I'm old school, right? So I was kind of like, eh, with the baseball data. I knew nothing about it. Blast Motion, who is coming on the show tomorrow, uh, and who's talking about a potential sponsorship. They were instrumental in getting me there, man. So I mean, I threw that Blast Motion, that nipple on my on the end of my bat. Found out what like swing plane was, right? Power, all that stuff. Like trying to get rotational acceleration, all that shit going. Ended up hitting, you know, 11 home runs, and that's that's that was not like me, man. Got me to the big leagues, you know what I mean? Got me an opportunity. Take us through your minor league stops. Okay. Man, I stopped everywhere. So I started in rookie ball, Pulaski, Virginia, the Appalachian League. First year, uh, hit 300, got promoted up to Everett, which was like, you know, short season A, however you want to call it, man. Bang there. Um, next year. First year, 2014, in full full season A ball, low A. Fucking broke my back, L5 on either side of the spine. Broke it. Uh, played 45 games with a broken back. Still hit 271. Stole a couple bags. Sorry about it. <laughs> right? Rehabbed in the offseason. That's kind of, you know, where I where I was able to, you know, sacrifice some stuff. Went to high A, banged, got promoted. Spent a couple years in double A, dude. Could not crack the code. Ended up figuring it out 2017, won the minor league player of the year for the Mariners. Just, I balled out, got the AAA, scuffled, right? Then figured it out in 2019, man. 2020, I was just balling. Uh, and then COVID happened, dude. I thought I was going to make the roster for the Cubs, man. Started making a couple bucks as a free agent. Dude, I was the last cut in spring training. I was the last dude not on the roster in spring training. COVID happened. Um, and then, you know, the rest is history. Went to um what's that what's that the side thing where you know everybody was getting ready i don't even covid site whatever it was yeah um 2021 full disclosure i didn't get the vaccine that kind of hurt me a little bit now i'm out of baseball man spent a year and a half in in you know wealth management industry and i'm here so because you didn't get the vaccine you think that prevented you from getting a job i mean dude i've never ever talked about this before but the Chicago Cubs are run by a very democratic family that sees things one way. I'm not talking politics any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying I was told by Jed Hoyer, 
that if I don't get the vaccine, I will not be in the big leagues for them. I told him to fuck off. And I'm here. <laughs> True story. True story. But I put my hand on the Bible for that one, man. Wow, dude. Yeah, it's a bombshell. That's a bombshell. So David Ross, who was my manager at the time, respected it. He respected it. He fucking respected it, man. So, like, I had a good relationship with him. I stayed around for 2021, right? I was just a booger hanging in AAA. Everybody's getting called up that took the jab. I get it, man. I understand it. At least they were up front with me about it, right? So September rolls around. There's a fucking outbreak of COVID up in the big leagues, and I'm the only one to stay there. Not that I blew the world up in AAA, but I, you know, hit 260-something, stole a couple bags, and they're calling dudes up from high A, right, that hasn't, haven't played double A. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yo, fuck this, dude. I'm out. And you were stuck in Iowa then. Oh, yeah. Des Moines. Des Moines, which is a great spot. You know what yeah, I mean? But, like, cool. you know, it is what it is. How, David Ross was a teammate of mine. Uh, awesome. Really, really good dude. Awesome. Give me your take on him getting pushed out because that one shocked me a little bit. Now, I had an opportunity to to talk to Theo Epstein about it just recently. Uh, but it just seemed like a bit of a shock. How do you think guys in that clubhouse took it? Ooh, man, I, I think I think they probably were a little shocked too. So there's a lot of turnover there, right? So they struggled for a little bit there after that, after the World Series, you know, I guess you could say rebuilding all this stuff. I loved Epstein, right? Talking to Theo a little bit, I respected the shit out of that dude. I didn't really get along too much with Jed. Um, dude, I was, I was surprised. I know that I'm, you know, there were some people that were in that clubhouse that were surprised, obviously like having Napoli at first base. Like it seemed like the vibes were great there, man. Um, so bringing council in, at least for me was a little bit of a shock, you know? Um, and, and I'm excited, eh, not excited. I'm anticipate. I'm excited to see how they do this year is what I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Is Napoli still there? Yes. Yes. So that dude, that dude is a beauty, man. Okay. Oh yeah, I I I know Mike. He's he's legit, man. Yeah. He seems he just seems like a dude. I that's and you know, there's you're either a dude or you're not a fucking dude. He just seems like a dude. He one of those guys. I say gets it all the time, but I I think I think he gets it. So yeah, Craig Council and I used to own racehorses together. Oh really? Yeah, we had a. We had a racehorse named Smoking Ann that <laughs> absolutely fucking killed it for us. It was the only time I could think of in my racehorse owning days that we actually made money. And the operation survived for maybe up to like four years. I, I want to say because we started it in 06 when I played with Council and Luis Gonzalez. And then they both went their separate ways. Gonzo, I went to the Dodgers in 07. Council, ah, yeah, I think he went back to the Brewers. But we formed this partnership, an LLC, of, of, of this horse racing business. It's lucrative? And, was it lucrative? No, it wasn't fucking lucrative. You're throwing money away, dude. But we both, we, the three of us put like 10 grand in. We're like, dude, let's get some claimers. And so we claimed this one horse, Smoking Ann, and I want to say it might have been like a $5,000 claimer. 
Well, she went on to you know win the race when we claimed her. And then she won another one. And then we bumped her up. And, you know, now she's in running $16,000 claimers. And then she's running $32,000 fucking claimers. And then finally she got claimed. And I, I forget where the, the total was or whatever. But, yeah, we actually made money on that horse. Great dude. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, person just in general really knowledgeable baseball guy one of the most knowledgeable baseball guys that i've ever been around it's tough to compare it to to compare counts to david ross they're, they're just different right um but i gotta believe you know here's david ross finally fucking settling in they had the boys in contention last year so the first time since he's been there and i think some excitement started to surround wrigley again when it came to the team and getting back to the playoffs and everything else. And then the fucking rug is pulled out from under him at this point. I I mean, damn, I got to believe if I were an owner of a team or general manager, somebody looking for a manager, he would be towards the top of my list. Uh, you know, because you just you literally like you brought in who is the best manager game. He's widely known as that in Craig council, but I would have put fucking David Ross in like the top 10. Yeah, so, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That dude, when that guy spoke, everybody shut up and they listened. You know what I mean? Like that dude commanded a room and I don't know, like I looked up to him and that was the type of dude that I wanted to be like in, in my short time there. That's like the, the best way that I could put it. You know what I mean? What was it like playing in the big leagues for the Cubs? Oh man. So, so I got a week there. I got a week with the Cubs. I got, you know, a, a little over a month with the Twins, man. So my week with the Cubs was during COVID 2020 when there wasn't a soul in the seats. Oh. Dude, I'm in Wrigley. I'm in Wrigley Field experiencing it for the first time and only time. And we're playing the fucking White Sox. It's the Cubs versus the White Sox. And there isn't a fan in the stands, man. And they're playing fake crowd noises. And it's just kind of like low energy, dude. I think it was that we won like a one-run ball game. I got to get in. I'm a stolen base threat. I get on first base and I get the fucking red light. You know what I mean? So, like, it was dope, dude. It's the big leagues, man. But I didn't really, you know, eh, you know, eh. It was dope. It was dope. But it so could have been sexier. I don't like that. You So you had a red light? Yeah, I got the red light, man. I got the red light. I think it was a pitching change, man. Somebody got a – somebody hit a single – I'm on first. I think Ian Happ's up after. Uh, he's up at the plate. And I get the red light, man. I'm on for two pitches. He fucking grounds into a double play, right? So I was on the field for two pitches. I got the slide yeah, in. The I, I, could, we, I could talk to you for two hours. We get into baseball philosophy and everything else. So I run a travel team, and it's called Let Them Play. And we're one of the – it's a top five national team. Our 12U team is, um, you know, according to Perfect Game and – you know, you look at all the rankings around. Like, it's this team's legit. And we basically have built this team off of a free and fearless approach to playing this game and giving kids the autonomy to uh, to run, to, to swing 3-0, to do all these things. And the way I look at it, and this is, you know, just, again, like everyone's teach their own, but, you know, my thought process is get a lead, get a jump, go. I don't give a fuck if you're the slowest guy on the team or the fastest guy on the team. And then I tell all of our hitters, if you have a pitch to hit in that situation, I want you banging. 
do not take so that guy can rip the bag. I want that guy in motion. I want constant pressure. And in my opinion, I mean, it's just fucking everything. I would run a big league team the same way. I would. And the whole idea is kind of like a running gun type of offense. Uh, the, the best explanation I could give you is that do you want somebody, number one, you're going to station to station is fucking asinine. You're doing a disservice to everybody. But if you stole that bag, right, and you get 90 feet, or would you rather have you in motion and my guy gets a fastball down the dick, hits a gapper. So now you're not getting 90 feet. You're getting 90, 180, 270, plus another 180 more because of the double that the guy just hit in the gap. Yeah, and you have to make nice plays to stop them at 270 feet with all that yeah. shit in motion, dude. You know what I mean? Like, there has to be nice throws from the cutoff, man. There's got to be great communication. Like, the fielders have to fucking show out in order to stop you. So that's – I could – 12U, man, you're doing that? Oof. Bro, it's, it's, it's amazing because a lot of the teams we coach against, you have coaches that are micromanaging every situation. And the kids are scared to fail. They're scared to swing uh, at times, right? If they, to, they're scared to make an out, they're fr- you know freaked out on the bases. They don't know how to take leads. And this isn't an us against the world thing, but it, it is something that I've learned and witnessed uh, before even getting into the travel ball world and now getting into it. And then my time with the Savannah Bananas, I, I preached the same thing. Like it, it was, it was dudes. I don't give a fuck if you fail. If you, you know, whether it's a center fielder making a, a backflip catch or Ryan Cox in between the legs at shortstop, like this is why we're here. We're here to entertain and to, and to, you know, just really instill that free and fearless mentality. And it's amazing what you can get out of players. I, you know, and I know because I, I was that guy at one point. I was, I was scared. I, scared is not the right word. I was apprehensive to swing even first pitch when I was with the Oakland A's because one of the ultimate sins for the A's was if you made a first pitch out mm. and you're not making that pitcher work. And you can't fucking play like that, man. 100%. It, 100%. It, it completely handcuffs you. Amen. Couldn't agree more. Baseball's fucking as hard as it is, right? You're going to get up there and start thinking and be tentative and worried that you're going to fuck up because you're being aggressive. Like, what got you there? You know what I mean? Why would you dumb that down? Why would you water that down in order to fit into a mold? Like, hey, dude, I got a three, you know, I got a dude, a veteran behind me who's got a couple more years than me. What, I got to take the first pitch cock shot just so I could, you know what I mean? So I can get out so he can fucking swing first pitch? Like, dude, is it about winning? You know what I mean? So I I respect it. I respect it. Okay. Tell the people about the Nine Hole Podcast. The Nine Hole Podcast. I provide insight and inspiration and firsthand stories, unique stories to the next generation of baseball players, the next generation of nine hole hitters like myself. Dude, I saw Cameron Rupp yesterday talking about the mentality of Troy Tulowitzki, who basically said, yo, you know, I'm facing Max Scherzer. I'm facing Jacob DeGrom, whoever it is. And then he flipped that mentality to the, nah, those motherfuckers got to face me. Right? Yeah. No, it's nuts, man. That's, that's nuts. So I, that was like the first thing that I wanted to throw up 
you know, on my social media about that like interview, man. That is so badass to think about. Imagine going to the plate every time with that, that with those set of stones, with that kind of confidence, man. Right? But you have to have it to play in the league, dude. You ju- you just do. There, there. You can never look across. I mean. Ian, I face guys like Roger Clemens and fucking Randy Johnson. I had Randy Johnson. I first time I faced him, we were at Phoenix Muni in spring training. And he threw a slider down and in. And I want to say it was like the first or second pitch. And I fucking bamboozled it (laughs) onto the street. Whoops. Beyond beyond the left, like literally, it was over the fucking left field foul pole. And they called it foul. And I whatever. I just couldn't believe I just fucking nuked him like that. And I walked back into the box of Chad Muller was the catcher. And it was a guy that I played with in Cape Cod, buddy of mine. He was a catcher at USC. I was at UCLA. And the next pitch came right at my fucking ear hole. Bam, out of the way. And down on the ground, I look at Chad. I go, Chad, what the fuck, man? <laughs> he goes, yo, Randy's going to do Randy, man. You know I didn't call for that shit. So that was the time where I was like, you know what? I have a choice here. Either I can, you know, curl up and do a little ball and cocoon and, 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 and I'm out. Or I could grab my ball sack and say, let's go, motherfucker. That's right. That's and it right. was, let's go, motherfucker. I got up. I looked at him. I'm like, all right, dude. Got back in there. End up having, let's call it a 10 to 12 pitch at bat where he struck me out with a split finger on a full count. And he and he said something along the lines of, sit down, bitch. <laughs> and at the time, Ian, I was a like a rookie with, a few days in the big leagues, maybe a little bit more than that. And he was Randy fucking Johnson, perennial all-star, already a Hall of Famer. And there were two things that I took from that. Because number one, I looked back at him as he said, sit down, bitch. I go, all right, motherfucker, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Like, like, I didn't back down at all. But more than anything, I looked at his mentality. This is a Hall of Famer for a reason because he's in a spring training game on March 3rd facing some random kid that just got to the big leagues and he cares that much and it bothered him that much that he hung a slider. I made him pay for it and then I ended up having this long at bat. He was full battle mode, right? He didn't give a fuck who I was. I love that, man. It's life or death. You know what I mean? I love that shit. Yeah, dude. Love that. So, anyway, I know you got an interview to do. I let you go, but we got to do this once a week. We'll try to figure out a day. Um, I don't know if Wednesdays work for you or what, but come on and just shoot the shit, talk ball. I, I love, and last thing here to let you go, the nine hole thing. Quick story. Uh, and it was funny because I, I saw your pod for, you know, since you've been doing it with the no filter and everything else. I'm like, nine hole. I'm like, yo. What like what is that? I I wasn't I wasn't sure. And then here you come on tonight. You're talking about the nine hole. So my first game in professional baseball was in Portland, Oregon, and I show up there as an All American at UCLA, all time hits lead. I'm a bad motherfucker, right? Whoops. And uh, sure enough, I go up and I look at the lineup. 
going down. You know, one, no, two, no, three, four. I get all the way down to nine. There I am, hitting ninth. And I go to Sparky, Greg Sparks, our manager. I go, Sparky? I go, ninth? He looks at me, he goes, be happy you're not hitting tenth. <laughs> I love that shit. I go, you're right, motherfucker. I said, okay. So he goes, you you want it? You want to hit? You want to hit eighth? Go out there and prove it. I said, I got you. Ooh, so fantastic. went out there, went two for twelve in the series, didn't do shit. But I, at that point, then went to Everett, Washington, and where you played, and they had that site where Ken Griffey Jr. hit his first home run here. And I remember pulling up in the bus. I turned to Jason Hart and I go, Yo, dude. Ken Griffey Jr. hit his first professional home run here. I'm going to hit my fucking first pro home, professional home run here. Hit the first ball I saw over the fucking sign, and then later in the game, fucking bang one off the sign. Beauty. That's, man. Ooh, that's destiny. Never looked back. Fantastic. Fantastic. Bernsey, I appreciate you having me, man. Seriously. All right, Ian. Yeah, man. You go ahead and X out. I'm going to fucking get into normal daily hustle shit. To Sounds good. Whatever. But really, uh, really enjoyed having having you on. And let's, uh, let's try to do this once a week. Sounds good to me. Appreciate right. you guys. Thank you. See ya. Okay. So, back with our regularly scheduled program. Ian Miller. What a good guy. Really have enjoyed his content. I mean, it's... It's not easy. It's not, especially when you're doing it by yourself. And, you know, he's getting guests on a daily basis, which is a lot of hustle involved, but he's somebody who's committed. And show me how you do anything. I'll show you how you do everything. This guy has fucking fully sent it. He did it in his baseball career, allowed him to get to the big leagues. And now here he is doing it in the podcasting world. I had a conversation with him yesterday. And what was so cool about it was that he said exactly that. I'm all in. All fucking in. So, anyhow, I want to hit up a couple topics here. Finishing up on the court storming thing. There was an article in the Star Tribune. I really really actually enjoyed the article. It doesn't mean I agree with everything. It was from Jim Suhan. And he says here, he said, hockey players fighting, fans storming courts. Time for these dangerous traditions to die. So he says, here are the six dumbest things in history. Number six, Union General actually tries to make it rain. Edward Powers believed that rain often fell after Civil War battles. And later in the 19th century, he persuaded the U.S. government officials to experiment with exploding dynamite in clouds to create storms. Number five, inventor of the safety pin dies penniless. Walter Hunt invented the safety pin in 1849 in Brooklyn. He sold the patent for 400 bucks. He died penniless in a world filled with billions of safety pins. Number four, Jack Daniels toe kills him. Jack Daniel of whiskey fame died, or so the story goes, because he kicked the safe after forgetting its combination. The toe became infected, and he died of gangrene. Number three, fans complaining about transfers. College athletes play 
for coaches who regularly leave for more money and more prestigious jobs. They are usually American citizens who have become de facto employees of companies that make lots of money. Why wouldn't they be allowed to transfer like any other employee? Because student athletes are free agents, colleges, should they want to build more loyalty into their sports programs, should sign them to contracts as if they're actual people. I agree with that. Why now are we even fucking dancing around the issue? Just sign a contract. Here's a four-year contract. You stay here for four years, you get paid. This is what it is. Sure, there could be some kind of exit out of a contract, but sign a contract. Number two, NHL players fighting in 2024. Sources confirm that it's indeed 2024. Even the NFL, which tried to hide the effects of brain injuries from players for decades, has worked to lessen head trauma. The NHL continues to allow stoppages of play so two hockey players can punch each other in the head. This grotesque display is followed by other players and fans cheering as if this were not the dumbest thing in sports, except for our number one, which will be shortly revealed. As the wild enforcer, Derek Bugard, once hit future teammate Todd Federick so hard that Federick had to have metal plates in his face. Bugard died in 2011 of drug and alcohol overdose while recovering from a concussion. And he was later found to have CTE, which was caused by repeated traumatic brain injuries. Now, while fans cheer, Marcus Fuligino or other enforcers square offs with opponents and try to damage their brains. What do Olympic college high school and women's hockey have in common? No staged fights. None of those sports suffers from their lack of brutality and stupidity. One excuse offered for fighting by NHL people is that sometimes a fight can energize or awaken a struggling team. Might I suggest instead an espresso machine on the bench? So the counter to this, and I've heard this from hockey people, I had the awesome opportunity to work at MLB Network, which was also the home of NHL Network, has spent plenty of time around Jeremy Roenick, who obviously has his podcast here with Tim Peel, Snipes and Stripes on No Filter Network. The reason why hockey players fight is basically because... If you don't, then guys will go ahead and take the liberty to cheap shot those motherfuckers over and over and over again. So the explanation is that if you go watch a college hockey game, you got guys getting checked up against boards from behind backs, like all this other stuff where the NHL is like, fuck it. You know what? If this is going to happen... I'd rather have the two of you guys square off. And the same goes for Major League Baseball. And this is why my argument for it was always, hey, look, in Major League Baseball, if you have a guy throwing 100 miles per hour at the head, what's better? That which could potentially kill him or a couple of guys slugging it out. I do understand the barbaric nature of it. And I do think, you know, I don't know if it's, Hey, look, keep the gloves on, keep the helmet on. 
I mean, that might be one way, but they drop the gloves, and so often the helmet comes flying off. What I don't understand is sometimes when you see guys take their helmets off, it's like, wait, wait, hold on a second. What are we doing? That doesn't make a lot of sense at all. So, all right, to the final one here. Number one, fans storm college courts over and over again. Iowa star Caitlin Clark will play at Williams Arena on Wednesday. Would it be too much to ask not ask you not to injure her? Earlier this season, Clark collided with an Ohio State fan who was storming the court this weekend. Duke's Kyle Filipowski was injured by a court-storming fan at Wake Forest. Allegedly. Who could have seen this coming other than anyone with an elementary school education? Court storming began decades ago as a spontaneous crowd reaction to an unimaginable upset. Now it's a planned stage event by entitled fans eager to get onto the court after any mildly surprising victory. Fans are not allowed to storm a theater stage. They are not allowed to storm a rock band stage. And if they do, Keith Richards might hit them in the head with his Telecaster. Telecasters are ideal for fan swatting. NFL and MLB fans are not allowed to storm the field. Hockey fans are not allowed to slip and slide on the ice. College basketball is the only major sport that allows fans to sprint at players who have nothing but their elbows to which to protect themselves. It was always a bad idea, and it has been made worse by the modern fan and social media. Want to become a uh, momentary minor celebrity run over a basketball player. NHL fighting and college basketball court storming are symptoms of the same diseases. Tradition and disregard for human safety. What court stormers are doing is essentially trespassing. If this practice isn't curbed, there will be even more serious injuries and the rules will change. Why don't we skip the serious injury part and start protecting college basketball players now? All right. I'm going to double down on this because Filipowski obviously played this thing up. He did put his elbows out like this, but he was the one that was initiating contact. It's not that hard. Over all the years of court storming, there were five incidences that I read the other day. It was like Bill Self got trapped and this minor little thing happened. This like, no, the biggest incident was when they tried to actually stop it and were tackling fucking students like they were trying to get into North Korea. That was the biggest incident. You have to understand, sometimes just let the students be the students. There is a solution in the sense that if you want to get the teams off of the court, there could be this grace period where they say, hey, look, We'll let you storm the court, but there's going to be this 30-second grace period to allow the other team to get off the court. I don't know. I, I Look, I've been hearing it all week. I'm the only one, I guess, that has this take that you should let the fucking students be the students. Let them go out there and act like the 18 to 22-year-old wild animals that they are and it's not that big of a deal 
It's not. If you have the evidence that proves, oh, this happened to this, even the whole thing with Filipowski, I haven't seen it yet. They keep saying he's been injured and all this. Other, has where? Where, where what's the what's the prognosis? Where what ah, I don't know. Maybe I'm off on this. Maybe again, it's my barbaric nature or whatever else. So all right. Moving on here. Let's get into huh, the remaining free agents in Major League Baseball. We know Snell is still out there. We know Matt Chapman's still out there. We know Jordan Montgomery is still out there. Cody Bellinger just signed. But what's disconcerting is that there's a fuck ton of other top free agents still on the market. Guys that, as a baseball fan, I would really like to see play baseball this year. But apparently, either they're not getting job offers or they're not getting contracts that they deem good enough to go ahead and sign. So let's take a look at this. One of the guys at the top of the list here, Brandon Belt. The question is, after having a huge season last year, he led the Blue Jays in OPS 858, 19 home runs. His projection here, it says one year, $6 million. After posting an 858 OPS, 19 dingers, Belt might have been expecting a raise in the on the $9.5 million he made last year. Yeah, why wouldn't you? That's sort of normal protocol. But especially given how little buzz there's been on him this offseason, it's hard to imagine him dramatically outdoing what Carlos Santana recently got. How about CJ Crone? The projection here, and this is according to Bleacher Report, a minor league deal. Crone was an all-star two years ago, but he's only ever been a power first guy, and he's coming off a down year marked by a 729 OPS and 12 homers. If Garrett Cooper could only get a minor league deal, that's what awaits Crone as well. How about Adam Duvall? Projection one year, $7 million. The two-year, $13 million deal that Hunter Renfro signed in December seemed like a good target for Duvall after he put up an 834 OPS and 21 homers in 2023, but now simply replicating the same deal he signed last winter might be the best he could do. At some point, these guys got to get in fucking camp. They do. That's an issue. Outfielder Eddie Rosario projection minor league deal. It was as recently as 2021 that Rosario had turned as a playoff legend. But these days, he's strictly a left fielder who doesn't offer much in the way of offense or defense. Any shot he gets will likely be one that he'll have to go earn a major league roster spot. How about Joey Votto? The projection for Votto, one year, $2.5 million. If this deal sounds familiar, it's because it's the same one that brought Albert Pujols back to St. Louis. Two years ago, Votto is in a similar stage of his career now. Though the odds of him reuniting with the Cincinnati Reds would seem to be much lower. I, the Reds could go two directions here. Because Votto's obviously been a staple spending his entire career with the Cincinnati Reds. The question is, how valuable is it to have somebody like that in the clubhouse? If you were to ask me, I think it's extremely valuable. You have a lot of young stud 
players, young studs with the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, led by Ellie De La Cruz. But it, I mean, the uh, it, it goes on and on and on of, of all their you know young budding superstars. And so having that, it could be a lot of pressure on those guys having to try to be the dude. Well, the one thing, even having a Joey Votto around, is that you don't have to be that dude. He will alleviate pressure immediately. <sighs> I just, man, one year, $2.5 million. We'll see. All right, the next one here, Michael Lorenzen. Lorenzen, let's see. Eight, they have an age 32 with stats, 29 games, 25 starts, 153 innings pitched, 138 hits. So the ratio there is fantastic, 111 strikeouts, so it's not bad. He had a 418 ERA. Uh, he's projected to get one year, $11 million. You then have Tommy Pham. 129 games last year, 481 plate appearances, 16 homers, 22 bags. So dude almost went 20-20. He had a 446 slugging percentage. Uh, they're saying here the one-year $6 million pack that Fam made with the New York Mets last winter was essentially a pillow contract meant to rebuild his value after down 2022. It did what it was supposed to do in that respect. Fam made improvements across the board. Even though he might have been unlucky at the plate, it hasn't resulted in a raise yet. Though that's apparently not for lack of interested parties. As Juan Torablio of MLB.com reported earlier this month, at least eight teams have given Fam a look. It says Tommy Fam's market is heating up at least eight. Eight teams are showing significant interest for the veteran outfielder sources tell MLB. They're projecting that he gets $8 million. Michael A. Taylor's another guy on the list. And Mike Clevenger as well. Let's not forget J.D. Martinez. I mean, it's, again, I, Matt Chapman. Holy shit. I mean, it just keeps coming. And Jordan Montgomery, so... And then obviously ending down with Blake Snell, who is the top free agent still left on the market last year's Cy Young Award winner. Uh, my wife is blowing me up right now. Now, on the heels of that, I want to get in this one last thing, and then we're going to go. Bryce Harper is risking alienating Philly's teammates and Philadelphia with his outrageous contract request. This is an article. It says, Manny Machado threatened the Padres. He got an 11-year contract last year. Harper clearly wants something similar, but he has no leverage besides his popularity. Will this request hurt his image? I don't know. But in this day and age of the immediate, I would be very careful if I'm Bryce Harper asking out of my contract. If this isn't scaring players right now, I don't know what the fuck will. Don't be deceived by the contracts given to Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. Do not let that fool you. This is a down market, and it looks like teams are scared to pay. They're not willing to pay these top dollars. So it says here, not since T.O. 
in 2005 want to renegotiate a seven-year deal with six years left. Has the Philadelphia athlete requested anything as audacious as Bryce Harper? With eight years and $196 million left to on his contract, he just signed five years ago. Harper and his agent, Philly villain, Scott Boris, have told the Phillies they want an extension. Now at 31, Harper says he wants to play into his 40s. He hasn't been fully healthy the last two calendar years. Let's try to make it through the 30s first, huh? Harp's popular, but, I mean, read the room, man. He was part of an epic two-game collapse that allowed the Arizona Diamondbacks to steal a pennant just a few months ago. 25% of Philadelphians live below the poverty line and cannot afford to attend a single Phillies game. And he hopes for what? An extra three years and $150 million? And what if he struggles this season? What if he gets hurt again? Can you imagine the outrage at a Bryce Harper hitting 250 with 20 homers on a 500 team? This is sort of unnecessary boondoggle that can crater an athlete's legacy. And it is a rare, almost unprecedented misstep for Harper during the Phillies' tenure. A solid foundation as he is built in Philadelphia. It'll be interesting to see how the request gambit plays with the populace that considers itself blue-collar and hard-working. As it stands, Harper, Trey Turner, Aaron Nola will see contracts expire around the same time. If the Phillies are smart, Zach Wheeler will soon have a contract extension that terminates at approximately the same point. I cannot foresee any of them trying to strong-arm the organization into a premature extension. All right, let's call it what it is. A ridiculous fucking request. But Bryce Harper is worth every petty. This is a guy that was a superstar since he was 12 years old and he has lived up to the fucking billing. Everywhere he has gone. He did it in Washington. He did it in Philadelphia. He is the man. He has taken that city, put it on its back at the biggest times in the biggest moments. He has been what many would call an ultimate teammate. He is in it for the long haul. He chose Philadelphia, had plenty of other options. So he loves the city. He has completely embraced his role as a leader. And is he worth an extra three years and $150 million or whatever else? Yeah, probably. But who gives a shit? Because if you're Bryce right now, bro, you're owed a couple hundred million more. You're going to put a hundred large in the fucking bank even after taxes. Like, as an extra 75 guaranteed right now, that big of a deal that you're going to upset an entire fan base and potentially guys in the clubhouse and the organization, it's just not worth it. It's not. I don't think money means that much to this dude. Now, again, I don't know exactly what sort of lavish lifestyle he lives. But holy fuck, dude, you've already made enough for you and your family and your kids and their kids. As far as your kids, 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 they can go fend for themselves, but you probably got enough fucking money for them too. So just focus on playing baseball. I, I, just, I would lay back a little bit, take care of your body, do what you got to do. Stay healthy. Because if you do get to that period in time and 
you're still doing what you're doing. Shit. He might be making a hundred million by then. So you could be leaving money on the table. And if you're not healthy at that point or not producing at that point, you don't want to fucking play anyway. It's just not worth it. So yeah, it's, can I understand the perspective of what's going on? Sure. But in the midst of superstar players, not even having fucking jobs. It just seems like an awkward request. Also given Boris and what's going on with every one of his clients. That all said, I want to make it very well known here on the Deuces Wild Daily Hustle. Bryce Harper's a bad motherfucker. And he is worth every last dollar that he's ever earned. Period. All right. I got to go. You want to pick up my daughter? Uh, Thank you to Ian Miller. Fantastic. Dude is... A badass, he is on right now. So if you want to go check him out over at the Nine Hole Podcast. And I don't know for whatever reason. Every time you hear Nine Hole Podcast, right? I'm thinking golf. But no, this isn't golf. This is the Nine Hole in the batting order. And he's just talking baseball, spreading the love, spreading the knowledge from a fucking grinder that did it himself. Everyone have a fantastic day. Back at you tomorrow with the... Daily hustle. That's it. Shit!